Well, good morning, everybody. So we've been talking about these different drives that motivate us in our life. We've talked about our aggressive drive, we've talked about our pleasure drive, and we've talked about the fact that we have this thing called a generative drive, which is uh, a drive within us that goes beyond ourselves, that, that the purpose is to produce the most amount of good in the world. We looked at the scripture in week one, and we learned that we have this responsibility, we have this calling, that God is a God of creation, God is a a creator of good things, and he has made image bearers to do that exact thing inside of the world. And so we've, we've looked at this generative drive concept about producing the most good. We talked about things that cause it to be uh, off, our drive to be off, which is uh, when those drives are too high or too low, and we talked about the the ideas there. Um, We discussed what is at the foundation of these drives, which would be our self, the structure of our self and the function of our self, and what that means to have those be healthy. What we're going to look at today is this concept of humility, uh, attached with a concept of empowerment, and I want to um, I want to make these ideas as clear as I possibly can. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna look at these and we're gonna see what this means for us in our life. And then I'm gonna zoom in on a uh, just a real world everyday example, and we're just gonna kind of play with this example throughout the remainder of the message, and uh, you'll see why it's so important. So the first thing is actually the definitions of humility, and uh, it's interesting, in order to talk about this as a Christian, in order to talk about this as a pastor, we have to look at humility as it's defined in all of the different um, arenas that we pull from. As, as pastors. So we have to look at humility uh, according to a Greek uh, mind. We have to look at humility according to a Hebrew mind. And then we need to look at humility in a modern day. Like what do we, uh, what do we mean when we talk about humility? So the first one is a Greek meaning or a Greek idea of, of humility. In ancient Greek, the term humility referred to a sense of modesty or meekness, or lowliness. Let's start with this concept of uh, meekness. Again, meekness is not the modern equivalent of weakness, okay? Meekness has nothing to do with this idea. It literally means power under control. And so it is somebody who has the ability to do a lot of things, especially if we're talking about aggression and, uh, and, and, and strength and dominance, but it's a person who understands how to control that, okay? So if you are a person that is humble and it's attached with meekness, it literally means you know what you are, you know what you're capable of, uh, but you have control of it. You're not off balance, right? So it's modesty, meekness, lowliness. It was considered a virtue in ancient Greek philosophy, particularly in the context of ethics and morality. It was about avoiding excessive pride and arrogance, valuing simplicity, and understanding one's limitations. Now, I think the importance here is what C.S. Lewis talks about when he says that humility is not thinking of oneself less, but thinking, uh, not thinking less of oneself, but thinking of oneself less, okay? So to think less of yourself is probably to 
In most cases, it's to put yourself down when you don't need to do so. But to put yourself second, to put yourself behind others, is a very humble thing and a very necessary thing in life, okay? But what we're dealing with here is a Greek understanding. Now let's look at a Hebrew understanding of humility. You're going to notice some similarities, but I want to point some major difference out. In Hebrew, humility conveys the idea of meekness and modesty, right? Just the same. It is a significant concept in Jewish and biblical traditions. Humility in the Bible is often associated with recognizing one's dependence on God, acknowledging one's own weaknesses. This is not seeing yourself less, but being honest with yourself, right? Seeing one's weaknesses and submitting to God's will. It also involves treating others with respect and not seeking to exalt oneself above others, right? So again, not thinking of oneself less, right? Like less than, right? But thinking of others is more important than you. Um, The significance here is actually something that I hope you'll notice about where we get terms or where we get definitions and ideas. Uh, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser likes to say things like this. He says, words don't mean anything, but people mean things by the words they say. Uh, All of our words, all of the things that we say, uh, we have come up with an idea. We're trying to formulate language. We're trying to convey an idea, a concept, a thought, something like this. And what we do is we create words and we attach a meaning to them so that we can transfer that understanding to other people. That's why language exists, okay? And so when when we're doing this in a Hebrew model, And when you're doing this in language, everything that makes you up, every background programming that you have, goes into the formation of your language. In Hebrew model, you have to understand that whatever word they're going to come up with, it's going to have the underlayment of God in it. It, it has to, because this is who these people are. They, are. they are creating language to convey things, but they believe, based on their worldview, that God is the center of all things. He is the creator. It's the same thing we believe, right? You notice the Greek model didn't have anything about dependence on God or uh, recognize, acknowledging one's own weaknesses per se. It was all about Just a traditional kind of a humanistic view of it, right? Why is that? Not because they didn't believe in God's plural, but they surely didn't view it the same way the Hebrew did, okay? Every time we come up with with a word, every time we define things, what we're doing with our definitions is we're injecting worldview into them, okay? This is why I love to use the reference of the way evil was used, the term evil was used in King James' time, right? The word evil uh, mostly meant or often uh, meant uh, calamity. And so when the Bible talks about God being the, uh, the, the doer of or the creator of or the enactor of evil, it literally means God brings about calamity for those who do wrong. But it does not mean, in a moral sense, God is the originator of that which is evil. That's another worldview entirely, but it is not the Hebrew worldview, and it's definitely not the Christian worldview. What my point, though, is, is that we inject meaning into our words. We, our worldview is, is, uh, becomes infused into everything we're talking about. So we have humility, and both agree with this, that it's a sense of meekness, Okay? 
Now we're going to look at our modern understanding, and I actually think the modern understanding, apart from missing the God element, has a really beneficial understanding. In modern English, humility is, uh, is also understood as having modesty or unassuming views of one's own importance, right? If you think you're better than everybody, you have a problem with humility, okay? Um, it has a, an unassuming view of one's own importance, abilities, or achievements. It involves a willingness to acknowledge one's limitations. That is a huge component in the definition of humility. And it's going to really play into the illustration that I give you guys today. Uh, it, it, it is all about learning from others or showing respect and deference to others. Okay, So respect, um, acknowledging that other people are smart in their own right or wise or, or of value, quite honestly, in many different ways. So the first thing that we have is humility, okay? And, and then the next piece that we're going to be talking about in, a, in this larger model is the idea of empowerment. But I don't want you to confuse empowerment with agency. I want you to understand empowerment as this idea that when you look at yourself, you feel that you can do things, you, f you can accomplish things. You can carry out a task or you can bring about good into the world. How many of you feel empowered based on the look in the mirror, looking at yourself, you say, you know what, I do think that I can bring about good in the world. How many of you feel that that's true? I hope, that, I hope to, to get it to the point where all of you feel this way. So what we have is empowerment and we have humility. Let's look at what the Bible says a bit about humility. We're going to read a couple of passages and then I will jump into this model as well as uh, this illustration that I want to give to you. So the first scripture is Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Why is that? Why is that? Because if you, or one way that this would be, is that if, if pride is there, disgrace often comes because we say things like um, pride comes before the fall. One has a confidence, maybe a confidence they shouldn't have, right? Uh, it's it just, it's hard for us to, to spot this in ourselves, but we're easy to see it in other people. But when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Why is that? Pride begets a fall, generally. Why does wisdom come with humility? Because one knows one's limitations. You actually know what you can do, what you can't do. You understand maybe you have power, but you don't know how to bring it under control, so you learn, you're teachable. All of these things are very important. So with humility, what we're seeing in a biblical mindset is that humility is going to beget something. Humility sets yourself up to learn, to grow, to gain wisdom, okay? The next passage of Scripture Go ahead. Matthew 18, 4. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. And this is going to play in when I use the illustration here in a second. Why do you think that we need the lowliness like a child? Say it again. They're trusting. That's one component to this. They're honest. They're learning. Isn't it amazing when, when somebody says to a child, at least a child that hasn't been kind of tainted by certain things, when they say, um, hey, you want to do this? You can do it. They're like, sure, I'll take a stab at it. But then there's some point in growing up, in maturity, where all of a sudden we're like, hey, you could do this. And people are like, nope, I don't think I can. 
Why? Because something has told us we're not able anymore. We've lost that, I don't know, that joy. We've lost that adventurous uh, part of ourselves uh, that comes with being a child. So the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is like this child. Why? Because they've taken this position that is under. They're teachable. They're trainable. They're, they're following after God, okay? And what he says is what they do, okay? This, is, this should be us. The next passage of scripture. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, look at this. This is the quality that you're living in. In humility, you value others over yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What really is the byproduct of humility in this? The interest of others, the good of others, which is back to our generative drive concept. We're bringing about the most good. The only way we could do this is actually if we remain humble. We have to remain teachable. We have to remain others-focused. We can't just be about I, me, mine. Okay? Next passage of Scripture. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This is really fascinating because the opposite of humility seems to be pride in the biblical worldview, and God has a disposition towards pride, but he also has a disposition towards humility. So if humility is something like uh, meekness and putting others first and, and, and being teachable and being trainable, as well as something that generates the most good in the world, and it is also something that begets the favor of God, right? God shows favor to the humble. We should all deeply desire to remain humble, okay? These levels of humility that we're talking about, this idea of humility is only going to be present, and I'm going to put up this this model that we've been talking about for a while. This idea of humility is only going to be present when we have a healthy structure and function of ourselves, okay? This is the way this works. So let's skip the next scripture and put up the, the model here real quick, guys. Right here at the bottom of this, the foundation of everything, this, this kind of pillars here that are supporting this peace, contentment, and delight, or joy, as we referenced in week one, is the structure and function of self. When we are healthy, when we have a right structure, and we have a right function within ourselves, and I'll explain that briefly, it leads to humility in ourselves. And that humility says, I can do some good in the world. I'm empowered to do good into the world. Now, does that mean necessarily, hear me clearly and and think about the question I'm asking, does it mean that because you're humble and you're empowered that you will automatically act in the world? No, it doesn't mean you'll automatically act, but you can act. You have the agency and you can carry those things out, right? If you have humility, you understand your place in the world, and you understand that you are unique and that God values you for who you are, you can have a lot of gratitude as well, right? You can be grateful for what you've been given, and you don't have to think about what somebody else has been given, or maybe what you don't have, amen? Can you, can you track with me on that? Okay, 
So, so once we have a healthy structure and function of self and we are empowered and humble, we can express that in gratitude and agency. We can act for real in the world. We can carry out things in the world doing the best good. We can be grateful for whatever it is that we have, not what others have, but what we have, the specific tools that we have, the specific expression of good in the world that we bring to the table. And that will result in, when we remain humble, that will result in us having having peace. That will result in us being actually content with the stuff that we do and the things that we bring into the world. It'll actually result in delight. We will be happy and, and joyful for the things that we've done. Is all of this making sense? Okay, now, now here's the deal. Let's, let's just deal with this in a very practical way. How we see this truly play out. I think this is where for some of you that are like, I still have lots of questions, it'll start to make sense. As parents, my wife and I have this ability to build the right structure and the right function into our children. All the kids in the room have parents who can build a healthy structure and a healthy function of self into them. Every child in this room can. However, if it is not built in a healthy fashion, what you will see is children who don't feel empowered... Or, and, and, or, you will see uh, children who don't understand humility in a right way. They will either view themselves as too low, feeling they're nothing and they're worthless, or they will think they have more ability than maybe they have, okay? So I, I need you to, I need you to to get with me on this, and I want you to interact with me as I work through this. So let's give you a healthy model of this or a healthy example of this. My daughters, as they have grown up, they've begun to watch how the house functions, how everything uh, is carried out. They look at cooking, they look at cleaning, they look at all these things, and they're like, you know what? I can do some of those things. I can do some of those things. So my daughters look at it and say, I want to start cooking. Now, the way that began, the way my daughter started making stuff, was that they just wanted to gather a bunch, and they still kind of do this, they wanted to gather a bunch of ingredients. Here is, their, here is their understanding of cooking at an elementary level. Mom takes all this stuff, throws it into a pot, and out comes food, right? Is that, is that the way we do it, right? So here's what that actually shows. It actually shows that the structure and the function of their self is not fully educated, but it doesn't mean it's unhealthy yet. It just means it's immature, okay? So they're, they're like, we'll throw all this stuff into a pot, and then we'll produce food. It'll be really awesome. They even have this real sense of empowerment. Here's what they struggle with, a level of humility to know what they actually are capable of. Right? They, they don't actually know. But in a healthy sense, here's what happens. So we, if, if it was all done right, what would happen is we would teach them how this works, and our kids would say, can I make a cake, for example? Can I make a cake? Yes. What are the ingredients I need? Here's the ingredients you need. I want you to go ahead and gather up those ingredients. Here's the instructions to follow, and I want you to create this cake that you want to create. And then... Let's just say it's my oldest daughter, Sam. She goes in, she makes this stuff up. She feels empowered. Why? Because she has the ingredients. She has the instructions. And what is the most vital piece of her empowerment? She has mom and dad's okay, right? 
she won't step into it if she doesn't hear us say okay, right? She'll be like, uh, no way, right? Or I'll get in trouble. Most people would think this, right? So she has empowerment. And then if she brings humility to the table, a healthy self-will, if she brings humility to the table, she'll begin this project. And if it goes well, she'll be like, man, I'm grateful for this. I made a cake. Happiness, right? Joy and peace and contentment, all these things, right? If she doesn't do something correct, but she has humility, what will she do? What will she do if she doesn't get something correct? She'll try harder. She'll what? She'll try to figure it out. She'll ask for help. Like There's a lot of things. Humility does not just sit there and go, dang it, I'm going to get this no matter what, right? Humility will look at it and say, there's something I don't understand. I'm going to ask for help, okay? So she'll come to this and she'll put it together and then she'll produce something and guess what will happen if all goes well? We'll be enjoying cake together, right? That's, that's the important thing. Here's where this stuff goes really wrong. And this might be something of parenting advice for some of you as you sit here with your children today. Sometimes your kids have a deeply uh, uh, informed structure and function of self, and it's good. It's, it's healthy. You've done a bang-up job. Way to go, right? But then your kids go, can I do this? Or it's something you know your kids should do, but you never empower them to do it. Either you're the mom or the dad who always does it for them. Can I get a show of hands? Mom or dad who always does it for them, right? Or you're the mom or dad who doesn't believe they'll ever do it without screwing it up. Show of hands. Yeah, right on. <laughs> Jeremy's like, I'll just be the bold one here, right? You think they're going to screw it up. Here's what happens, guys. That healthy structure and function of self begins to erode. It begins to erode because they don't actually walk in proper empowerment. They don't actually think they can do anything with it. Or they think mom and dad have to be there present, micromanaging every step. And in the end, what they truly begin to believe is somebody else is doing this for me. It's not actually me, right? And then when it comes to humility, they don't actually know what to believe about themselves. Uh, if mom and dad always do it for them or they feel, they feel that they're not good enough to do it, then they're going to, their humility is going to drop and they're going to feel like pieces of crap. Okay? They're never going to feel like they're worth anything because you're not empowering them. You're not helping them move forward. Okay? Guess what, guys? Same thing works in marriage. Same thing works in marriage. You can have a structure and function of self that is healthy both in husbands and wives. But if one does not empower the other, it will start to affect their humility, which will then in turn begin to erode their self. They will not understand who they are. They will start to defend themselves more often. Their behavior will be skewed. They'll begin to make salient or make pressing that which they shouldn't, which is the negative things of life. Uh, they will always work out of defense instead of out of freedom. How many of you have kids that are always like, they're always defending themselves before they even ask for permission? They're like, they're like I, I'm sorry, maybe this is not, right? Guess what? 
The reason why they're defending themselves is because you've not done a good job of empowering them. You've not good, done a good job of letting them be and be free. Knowing this, they're probably going to screw up. They're probably going to screw up. There are some parents that are sitting in this room right now and they're going, if my kid doesn't shut up, I'm going to be embarrassed for the rest of the day. This is so awful because you have no room for them to make mistakes or to be human. You have to let them go. You have to let them be. So if, if my daughter goes to make her cake and she dumps the flour all over the floor, and I want her to maintain a healthy structure and function of self, I want her to remain empowered, and I want her to remain humble, what should I do? Way to go, slick. I probably shouldn't say that, right? I probably shouldn't say that. I should probably even keep sarcasm to a minimum. Why? How many of you know how to interpret sarcasm even after you grew up? Yes and no, like, yeah, right? It's like some days, some days not, right? Your kids surely aren't going to interpret it well. But if that's the way you handle them, they will never be able to feel empowered. I know grown adults, church, I know grown adults that struggle in every relationship they have right now because mom and dad never empowered them and never let them do anything without making them feel like they were going to royally screw it up. Or when they did mess up, it was the end of the world, right? Our goal as parents, our goal as spouse, our goal as friends, as coworkers, as employers and employees is not everybody striving for absolute perfection. Because even if somebody could get it perfect in a moment, there is no one in this world that has gotten it perfect without failure across the whole story. Nobody has. You yourself have never gotten it perfect across your whole story. So what needs to be applied is a measure of grace, which will keep empowerment alive. What it requires from the leader is humility. What it requires from the leader is understanding, I've made all these mistakes too. I've screwed everything up. You all, we all have to understand this, right? These grown adults that I talk to, they still, and by the way, this is where psychologists go and they say, do you have mommy issues? Do you have daddy issues? Everybody in the Christian world looks at it and goes, ah, making excuses, just own your crap. Sometimes there's a reason. Sometimes there are mommy issues and daddy issues because you were never given the ability to act. And the reason why was maybe because they thought you would screw it up. Maybe they thought they knew best. Whatever it is. You want to know the best model that I know of to parent? It's God. You know what he knew of all of us? We would sin. We would fall short. Did he stop and say, no, I'm putting shackles on you. You're not getting out of your room until you're 20 years old. For some reason, he lets us be reckless and chaotic. Why? Because the God of the universe is actually cultivating a healthy structure and function of self. He's empowering us to actually be agents at some point in this world, right? He is teaching us humility. And the way you learn humility, guys, is by trial and error. You learn humility by going, I think I got this. And then you go, uh-oh, I don't got this. And then you realize what you actually have versus what you don't. 
right? So you begin to work this out. And then, only then will you actually walk into the world enacting good and being grateful for it. Only then. Only then. See, if, if parents don't understand this, their kids will not grow in this capacity. And if uh, a husband doesn't understand this, his wife will not feel safe and will not feel empowered or strong. Why? Because he's not humble himself. If a teacher and a leader does not allow people to just try, this is one of the, the most, if you get to know anything about me, try to avoid the things that you see in me that are negative, I pray, and give me grace. But the thing that you should see, one of the things that I enjoy doing a lot is when somebody comes to me and says, I have this idea, I am not a fan of micromanagement. So I'm like, have fun with it. Maybe it's to the opposite degree where I'm like, hey, run with it. And then they're like, little help, maybe. Maybe a little bit of help, you know. But I want people to be empowered. I want them to run with it. Leaders have to do this. Teachers have to do this. Parents have to do this. Husbands and wives have to do this. It's the only way that it's actually going to grow into a healthy way or into a healthy self, right? So, so we need this humility, but humility is trained into us. We need to be empowered. That's affecting our humility, and that's affected by humility. And all of these things affect who we are deep down inside. So as we think about this, what it moves to, of course, is agency and gratitude, and then the good that we're supposed to be creating. But without this level of humility, without these things, we're really going to run this into the ground. So let's talk about some negative ways we do this. My daughters want to make a cake. Again, I've used the one example. They, they make a mess in the kitchen. And then what happens? A couple of responses. I can be very harsh, right? I can say, way to go slick. I can, I can say, I can't believe you made this mess. Listen, maybe your kids aren't making cakes. Maybe you're at the dinner table and all they do is spill their water and you lose your flipping mind. You know what the problem is? You. Have you ever met somebody who hasn't spilled anything in, in life yet? Right? But you can't take it? What's the problem here? The problem's you. If your husband or wife does something and they can't do it flawlessly and all you do is criticize and harp and complain, do you know what the problem is? You. You. Because why? Because somewhere deep inside you, you don't have a healthy structure and function of yourself. You probably don't have good levels of humility. You're too arrogant, too cocky. It's really, it's really hard, right? So we do this with our kids. We can do this with everybody, but we get really harsh. The next example of what we might do in this is that we, again, we micromanage everything. So, so what could you do in this? This would be an implicit way of doing this. Uh, you, you can't ever let them do it by themselves. You take it from them. You're like, here, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. What are you actually doing uh, to your kids if you constantly do it for them all the time and never let them do it themselves? What? Enabling. Stunt their growth. Babying them. All of these things are a way of saying it, right? All these are, are a way of saying it. But you do 
hinder their growth. Why? Because you have great intentions. But why do you have great intentions? Do you just not want them to screw up and make a mess that's inconvenient for you? Track with me, please. Because I know this is true for everybody in this room. Every wife is looking at every husband right now going, you know. Every wife doing the same, or husband doing the same thing, parents and kids. We wrestle with this. Why are we so um, prone to micromanage? Why is our, uh, our correction or our way of destroying their empowerment and their humility so implicit in this? Why do we do this? Do what? We don't want them to feel like a failure. You know what you also have done? Never given them a chance to succeed so they can be a success. Do you see that? Isn't this fascinating? And now, what happens is the protest comes and says, Nathan, I did this with my kids. Do you know what happened? Maybe I do. Maybe I don't know what happened. But I can also say that God gave you the freedom. Do you know what happened? You sinned. You fell short. You made a mess of your life. And what did he do? He redeemed you. He continues to come back and love you and care for you. Why? Because what he wants is you to grow. Right? He wants you to grow. He wants you to be better. How many in this room who are parents want their kids to be the best they can be? The most they can be? Yeah, there's not a parent who's going to be like, nah, I don't care. But the problem is how you treat them and how you raise them and how you train them actually will result in the opposite of what you desire when you don't see what the problem is, right? So what are some other things that could go wrong or what are some other ways that this could play out? Um, My daughters could have a healthy structure and function of themselves, They could say, we want to bake a cake. I could empower them. But then their humility becomes a huge factor. And their humility says, I'm never going to do this well. What's my job as a dad? Ah, I got it. I'll take it away from them and make it right for them. No, that's not my job, right? What's my job? Build them up. Encourage them. Encourage them how? Lead them from the back, right? Show them how to do it. If, if my daughter is trying to bake a cake, is it best for me to go in and go, nope, you're not doing that right. No, nope, stop that. No, nope, quit that. No, it would be, hey, what's, that, what's the recipe say again? Oh, it, it says uh, we need a cup of sugar. Okay, cool. Where's that measuring tool? Um, I don't know. Where do we usually put the measuring tools, right? Like, you're going through a series of questions that lead them in this direction, okay? And you get them to arrive at the solution. And guess what happens when you make people believe they are the ones who came up with the answer? Guess what happens? It sticks with them. They feel empowered. They, they think, dang, that's awesome. I came up with this. This is a job of a parent. It's, it's covert leading, in my opinion, but it's, it's, it's how a parent should lead. You have to guide them in a way where they think it's their idea, and all of a sudden they own it, and you never have to be the bad guy. Nothing, right? 
So you guide them. But what is actually the problem at that moment? Their humility is low. They don't know what's, I'm just a piece of crap. I'm going to mess this up. It's going to go wrong. You should always trace that back to where that started, though, as good parents, as a good husband, as a good wife, as a good friend, as a good worker. You should trace that back to where that began. Try to answer your friends' and family's questions of why their humility, of why they think themselves to be so low and so worthless. The other result is that my kids could be very proud, right? I could go in and be like, yeah, I got this. I don't need anybody's help, right? Now, what, what happens if in, uh, let's say Sam, uh, again, she's the oldest one here. So uh, let's say Sam decides in her pride she knows how to make a cake. And instead of, I don't make cakes, so I have no idea what I'm talking about, right? There's humility for you. Um, let's say she decides she's not going to use any eggs at all, okay? Now, let's say this cake comes out and it's flat and it's disgusting and all this stuff. What should a parent do to encourage them to a level of humility that will one day ask, for a question, ask questions? should hand them the cake and go, this sucks. No, <laughs> right? That's not what you should do, right? Should you also do the American Idol technique, which is when, you're, when your family member can't sing a lick, go, you're beautiful. You got the voice of an angel. You shouldn't lie to them either. That's the greatest cake I've ever eaten. No, let's not do that, right? What should you do? Hey, did you, did you follow the instructions on this? Did, did you follow the instructions? Yeah, I followed the instructions. Awesome. Can you walk me through that? Can you walk me through your steps on doing this? You might know as a parent it's eggs that are missing. But, hey, can you, can you walk me through what, what you did step by step? Then they go through this whole thing and you're like, oh, awesome. When did you put the eggs in? Not with sarcasm, not with belittling, not with, you know, aggression. Hey, hey when did you put the eggs in? Oh, I didn't put the eggs in. That's probably the reason. But it's good. We'll make another one. Right? We'll make another one. We'll make another one. We'll make another one. We keep building them up, and we get them to the place where they're like, something went wrong. I noticed something went wrong. Next time when I see something going wrong, I might ask a question. I might seek advice in how to do this. What are we working on here? All we're doing is taking the healthy structure and function of self, we're taking healthily uh, empowered people and humble people, and we're working towards agency and gratitude. We're working towards peace and contentment and delight. We're working towards things that the Bible says brings God joy, right? And that he blesses, not pride, which he looks down on, but something amazing. But it's always going to start with us. It's always going to start with us. So let's take it into just a couple of different arenas before we break for the day and uh, partake in our potluck. Let's move it outside of kids. Let's deal with friends that are having a discussion. Some things that we can do to make sure our humili humility stays intact. Listen to me clearly, please. Stop asserting you know everything. Stop asserting you know everything. Maybe ask a couple of questions. If you start a conversation off with, this is why, you might turn somebody off. 
you could go, you know what I think? Could this be the case? Does that make sense to you guys? Why are we doing this? Why would we do this? Because number one, we don't want to assert ourselves as this proud turd, right? Right? Who will, once pride is present, guess, guess what, guys? It's not just God that doesn't like pride. Everybody has a bad taste in their mouth when pride is present. And so as soon as this assertion of this is the truth happens, all of a sudden people are like, would you like a podium? Do you want to preach to us? Do you want to, is this a discussion? Right? People, when you shut them down on it, it's funny. They don't even notice they do it. Right? When you shut them down on it, they're always frustrated. Like, so I guess it doesn't matter. No, nobody said it doesn't matter. It just means you can't know everything. And we think we do a lot. If you're in work and you assert you know everything, you're not going to be employed very well. If you're a husband and wife and you assert that you know everything, guess what happens? You're going to find a partner that's silent. Here's what I've realized in life. Here's what I've realized in life. Silent men are the product of silenced men. Listen to me. Silent men, which is an epidemic in our world, are the product of silenced men. If you do not listen to them, they just won't bother same thing is true for women. Silent women are the result of being silenced. They just don't feel like fighting. So they get quiet and they retreat into themselves. Marriages are dealing with this constantly. Why? All kinds of assertions. All kinds of things. Cockiness, pride, arrogance. It's all the opposite of humility. Same thing is true in a marriage or in a work environment when there's no empowerment. If you do not empower your spouse, if you do not empower your friends to try something and to be something without belittling them and crushing them, guess what's going to happen? Their drive's going to go through the floor and they're never going to do a thing. Men. How many of you would say, I don't have much drive because I don't feel anybody trusts me? I want you to raise your hand. I don't even care if it's your wife that you're right next to. <laughs> now, women, how many of you would say that is true? I don't do anything because I don't feel like anybody trusts me. You guys are all so scared to answer the question nobody's going to raise their hand. That's crazy. These are challenges in life, and we all wrestle with them. If I ask the kids, though, how many of you feel your parents trust you completely? So let's get all the kids' attention. Everybody, all these kids' attention. How many of you feel mom and dad trust me completely? If I ask them to do something today, they're just going to say, yes, go for it. Raise your hand. Your parents don't trust you completely? You know what it is with kids? It may be immaturity. You know what it is with adulthood? Arrogance. Arrogance on somebody's behalf. And we've got to work on these things. I cannot tell you how many people I have sat down with, talked through their marriage issues, only to find out the wife, she doesn't want to bring up criticisms because she feels that every time she brings them up, it's going to turn into an argument and she's going to be shut down. I won't even ask for a show of hands since you don't want to participate. 
I talk to men who say, I don't have any passion any longer because nothing I have, nothing I want matters. That's challenging. I get these statements repeatedly. Why? Because these things are true, but there's a solution to it. The solution to it is when you look at each other and you begin to work at people who have a healthy self, and that healthy self can walk in actual humility, not phony humility, and they feel the people around them love them and empower them and encourage them and push them on, sky's the limit, guys. Sky's the limit for every one of us in this room if we'll actually see these things work. But it won't be if we don't work this out. Some of you need to go back into your past. And you need to realize and be humble enough to realize that you were raised in such a way that it so distorted yourself that you are dealing with being unhealthy from the get-go. I know this all sounds like psychobabble to some of you, but I'm telling you, it's true. Some of you function and operate out of a deficiency of understanding yourself well, and you have all your life that it just affects every relationship around you. How do we fix this? We go back to the beginning, and we find out what's wrong, and we try to work on it. We try to work on it. And guess what we don't do? We don't give up. We don't say, I'm worthless. I'm not, I'm not able to be fixed or able to be healed. No, you are. You are. What do you need from a partner? Somebody who's willing to work with you on those things. Somebody who's willing to listen to all of the stuff that you've had to go through. Somebody who's willing to walk beside you in the path of recovery or help or life. You need somebody to do that with you. If it's humility that you struggle with, you need to have sources of feedback around you that will keep you level-headed. If you're proud, you need people to go, you're not that good at that, but I love you. Let's work on it. If you're in the tank about your humility, you need people around you that are going to encourage you and say, you know what, you can do everything that we want to do, and you can do it with my help, and I will be there with you no matter what. That's what you need. That's what the church needs to do for each other. That's what spouses need to do for each other. That's what uh, employer, employees need to do for each other. That's what relationships look like when they're healthy. Okay? It looks like humility. It looks like humility that actually empowers other people. So the next potluck, what I think we should do is let all the kids cook the food. Yes. And I think we should have enough humility to eat every last bite of what they make, even if it is awful, to encourage them to keep doing it. And you know what will be the benefit in the long run? They'll make the food next time and we get to kick our feet up. This is great. Isn't that all? Every mom went, hallelujah, right? So there, there are benefits, right, before I pray and close this. There are benefits of you taking the long road of teaching people how to do the things that you don't trust them to do now. The long road benefits are they begin to do them by themselves and there's less of your uh, attention needed, which frees you up for other things. It's really important. 
We got to learn to be better leaders, better managers, better, better friends, better fathers, better mothers. We need to be better at these things. It requires empowering people and having humility. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for uh, the group of people that are here to not only worship you and to grow in their understanding of faith and life and practice, but also, Lord, this group of people that has come together to fellowship, to praise you, uh, to uh, spend time together, to be encouraged, hopefully, Lord, to build one another up and not tear one another down. I pray, Lord, that you would give us, you give each one of us strength today. Um, give us strength to look back into our lives at ourselves and understand who we are, where we need to grow, where things can get better, where things are good. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us give a, a, a very detailed and honest look into ourselves so that we can grow and be, be healthy and that we can look more like you with everything that we do. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' great name. Amen.